Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. That's us, Communication Mixdown. I'm John Langer. And I'm Bronwyn Cran. And this week on the show, the second of our two-part series, How Cities Communicate. In this edition of Communication Mixdown, we're exploring the urban visual field all around us, the world of signs and sign writing, and their digital preservation. Our special studio guests are Stefan Schutt and Lisa Cianci. Stefan is an academic at La Trobe University with a special interest in digital media and what he calls old stuff. And Lisa is an artist, an archivist and a digital media developer and she works at Victoria University. And both of them have become fascinated by and now do research on what have come to be known as ghost signs. Welcome Stefan, welcome Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. Stefan, both you and Lisa are ghost sign aficionados. What are ghost signs? What interests you about them? Mm. So ghost signs, what's the... There's, there's various terms for these things, but ghost sign is the most common one. Uh, they're the remains of old painted advertising signs that have seeped into brickworks on hoardings and walls uh, around urban, urban centres. And um, they, they're kind of a bit of a window to the past, I guess, of, of uh, what used to happen in those places and the kinds of um, uh, communities and, um, and businesses and things that used to be there. So, and there's, there's quite a fascination with ghost signs around the world now um, in kind of popular circles, even before the internet, but since the internet, it's really exploded and lots of people are taking photos of these urban traces and posting them on, on various um, social media, etc. Great. Thank you. Lisa, if you were to take us, a, take us on a walk somewhere in Melbourne, say in central Melbourne or an older inner suburb, what are some of the ghost signs we might see? Perhaps focus on two or three? Um, well, that's a good one. <laughs> that might be a better question for Stefan, oh, actually. Okay. But um, there are a few, I think, in the, in the city centre that um, are around. Oh, uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you a, f- a famous one, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the, the Mazda Cat sign on, on Elizabeth Street, which is it used to uh, it used to be um, the uh, the mascot to um, to I think it was a, a, a light bulb company, and it's high up on a building um, uh, on about the fifth level. Um, and so you've still got this kind of bug-eyed cartoon of a cat. And it's, it's famous because it featured in the movie On the Beach in the 50s when, um, was it uh, Ava Gardner? Was wow. It? Ava Gardner? Yeah. And so, she, yeah, so it's, it's, it's in there and it's still around now. <laughs> and uh, we, we actually, we, we put out a book last year on, on ghost signs and one of the chapters talked about Mazda Cat. 
and um, its history. Oh, incredible. <laughs> Interesting. So what, what street are we on now? Tell us what street. street. This is uh, Elizabeth Street in the city, in the CBD. And so look up. Yeah. So if you, it's as you are heading south and it's on the left-hand side. So look, looking towards Flinders Street Station. Um, and it's, I think it's, you can see it in between Burke Street and Collins Street. Um, at certain angles. Okay, yeah. we'll get our Google Google Maps and and uh, zoom in on that. Hmm. Stefan, you had a big unexpected find of historical documents in 2012. Very briefly, could you tell us how this happened and what you found? Sure. Um, I was working at the uni. Um, the building next door was being demolished for the train line that was being built to the western suburbs or the extension of the train line. <clears throat> and all this stuff was dumped um, in the lot next door, so uh, I was outside the building and I saw these sort of invoices from the 1940s kind of stuck in the bushes. So I went into the building site and had a look, um, and then the building site supervisor came by and told me off, and I left, and then I waited till he left, and then I went back and jumped over a fence and found this big <laughs> pile of stuff and spent the next about three or four nights after work going there and piling stuff into my car, basically. Um, and they... It was the records, well, there were a few companies in there. Uh, it, the, the main records that I found were the working documents of a sign-writing company called Lewis & Skinner, which operated in Melbourne from about 1910 to the 1960s. Um, and so it was all the documents that the sign-writers were given when they went out to a job. So drawings of, um, you know, Cadbury signs on milk bars and um, mobile service stations and... Um, so it was, and some of the drawings are quite beautiful, and actually some of them are in colour and and uh, are works of art in themselves. So um, I I just really like that. So then the next stage after that was to get some funding to produce an online archive. Um, so there were uh, <laughs> there were ten thousand documents scanned and put up in this online archive, and some poor bugger was employed to um, to take these dirty tatty bits of paper and scan them all and and organise them. Um, and then after that, we did a community exhibition, which is really where Lisa got involved. And, and um, we, we ran this community exhibition in a cafe in Yarraville. And the, the Lewis and Skinner logo has, has a picture of a guy painting a sign on it. So we, we connected with Tony Mead, who's a local sign writer and historian interested in this stuff. And he painted the logo on the wall of the cafe over a week. Um, and we had, we had lots of people turn up, including lots of old sign, you know, sign, people who had been sign artists but, but were no longer. And so there was a research project associated with that. And, um, and yeah, it got a fair bit of media. It was on the Channel 10 News and The Age and that kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. What a find, especially for someone interested in old stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so we might come back to the, uh, the, the, what you've called the Keepers of Ghosts project in a little while. But I'm interested in the, um, the, the Skin, Lewis and Skinner documents. Have you been able to identify any ghost signs from the Lewis and Skinner documents that are still on buildings in Melbourne? Yeah, a couple. Um, there was one... Well, there, there's a kind of ghost song that, that's known as a reveal or an uncovering um, where a building gets knocked down and the wall, what was the exterior wall of the building next door is exposed... And there was one in Surrey Hills in Union Street that had these amazing uh, sort of two-storey signs for Bushels Tea and Medallion Foods, which was a common common brand around in the 60s and 50s in Melbourne. Um, and it was a Lewis and Skinner sign. It had the Lewis and Skinner signature. So uh, when I saw that sign, this is about 2013 or 14, um, I was um, 
yeah, the, the, the locals were treated to this idiot jumping up and down <laughs> in this building site, super excited to actually see the physical connection between, you know, the stuff that I'd found and, and an actual sign that still existed. Mm. And, and I think I've actually got that job um, in the archives. Fantastic. So we might just move forward to to uh, talking about the exhibition, this keepers of or the keepers of ghosts project, mm-hmm. and um, as you said, Stefan, this was a, a a project that both you and Lisa jointly developed. Um, Lisa, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about the project. It focused partially on Melbourne's western suburbs, and um, you and Stefan have written about it that it involved uh, both digital and physical activations. I wonder if you mm. could tell us. A little bit about the project yeah. and what you mean by those activations. Yeah, we did a few things actually. So some of, as Stefan said, some of the original items were beautiful and works of art in their own right. Um, and so some of those were actually framed, you know, physical items that we put in the exhibition. And then we had a range of objects and things too that um, Stefan had collected from different places relating to, you know, old-fashioned sign writing practices, tools and and you know, paints and artefacts and things like that. So we had a mix of, um, I guess you'd call analogue materials, but then we also had some digital um, content and um, that was a large part of my job was to create this visualisation map, which um, Stefan found these fantastic aerial photographs um, from the 1940s of the western suburbs. And because with a lot of the jobs, um, the Lewis and Skinner jobs, there were sort of numbers and addresses for where the locations of those signs were. So even if there was no physical trace left of the sign, we could pinpoint sort of geospatially, I guess you could say, we could pinpoint um, where those signs existed. And so I took a lot of um, the scanned images of different image, I guess, different signs that were um, designated to different locations and it was very tricky. I had a Melways. I had these old aerial maps. And obviously the suburbs have changed a lot since the 1940s. So we had to try and kind of match what we could see in the old photos and what we knew of streets and places that existed now and try and actually pinpoint the places where those signs would have existed. And then I made we made a massive map, which Tony Mead actually printed for us. It was quite large, I think. It was yeah. like a couple of metres wide and or more. And we had the aerial photographs in the centre and we had the um, artefacts, like the digital images of the actual Lewis and Skinner, um, their, their sign, I guess their sort of templates or preparation documents around that with lines sort of drawn in and dots on the map sort of linking um, the original signs and advertising to places on the map. So it was great to sort of look at that and see the patches where... Um, that signage would have been. And it was mainly like the inner west and um, the western suburbs of Melbourne. And just to add to that too, another thing that we did was to go around to those locations and actually um, uh, produce an invitation that, that Lisa produced uh, like in postcard form to those places where the signs had been painted. So we And we included a copy of the job sheet in there so these people would have got this mysterious bit of paper saying that the sign was painted at your you know location in 1946 or something and... And, and invite to come to the exhibition. <laughs> and did you get responses we from did, people? Yeah, did a couple, we did. Yeah. 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 And the other interesting thing then was to the people who came to the exhibition were able to record some interviews and some people sort of discussing, um, I guess, histories that they knew about. I mean, maybe 
that's something else to talk about, the sign writers who actually came to the exhibition yeah. and were really interested and engaged in, um, you know, what we were doing. Yeah. Mm. And I guess one aspect of that is was because sign writing is a working class pursuit um, and it was an incredibly difficult occupation to master. Like it took years for people to get the skills and they often worked in really dangerous conditions um, and often it was a very highly protected kind of industry as well in that you really had to earn your stripes as an apprentice to even be able to practice painting signs, um, that those skills that were so hardly, f- that, that they were gained through a lot of effort and time and then they were suddenly devalued with the with vinyl coming in in the 1980s, vinyl signs, and suddenly sign writing skills weren't valued at all. So there was a real sense of loss uh, amongst a lot of the guys who turned up um, who'd spent their lives, you know, learning this trade that, that was no longer considered to be of value. And so that, that was a real, that was quite a poignant aspect of the, of the exhibition. Absolutely. We're Communication Mixed Down. More on ghost signs after this. Starting December 10th, Shindig has a new day and time slot. Sundays, 6 to 7pm, join me, Holly, for your usual dose of 1960s tracks and inspired sounds. Are you aged over 65? The University of Melbourne is conducting interviews exploring how radio can impact well-being. Researchers will interview you for 60 minutes and in return you'll be given a $25 gift card. For more information, please visit cbf.com.au forward slash wellbeing. This research is proudly funded by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. A 3CR supporter. We're Communication Mixed Down, and in this edition of the show, we're exploring how cities communicate. And we're talking with Lisa Chianchi and Stefan Schutt about ghost signs, remnants of advertising on buildings in our cities. We were talking before the break about the Keepers of Ghosts project and the Lewis and Skinner archive that was created out of the project. Stefan, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit more about this archive, uh, where it lives, um, what its importance is. Sure. I guess, um, uh, well, it lives at www.lewisandskinner.com. Um, it was created with um, a bit of software called Amica, which was developed by George Mason University in America for um, archival, online archives of, of, of any kind. Um, it's important, I guess, um, a lot of these sort of ephemeral hist- histories get lost. I think we were talking before the show about examples, other examples where where things that had historical value and importance were kind of thrown out because they weren't, you know, they were part of someone's personal collection or they, they, they weren't seen as being valuable in their own right. Um, and, and I guess a lot of the day-to-day stuff that happened in the past... Um, is not recorded often and and so through things like these working documents um, you get a real sense of the lives of the people that were that were involved in the trade um, the kind of social life and business life that existed in 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 Melbourne in the 40s and 50s in particular although the records go back earlier than that um, you, you get you get a real a sort of a different kind of take on 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 daily life and and I guess one of the things we talk about in the 
research paper we did was was um you know the the thing about modernity basically um demolishing everything before it and everything has to be new and and people i think have a sense of loss about that in their in their neighborhoods and that connection to the lives that that used to exist there on on a local level on a very grassroots level are really important somewhere i think can i ask a question now just come in mm. if you don't mind um you you were talking about the the actual drawings as as a very artistic and 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 very elaborate where where do they reside did you did you in your in your halls hallways and things like that or where where are they yeah in my attic at the moment (laughs) well there there was a process um they were i had a fellowship with the state library to do research on this stuff and at the time the state library was interested in taking the material as a collection but when they saw the condition of the material because it had been you know, mouldy and, and had yep. been sitting in a filing cabinet for 50 years or something. They balked. No, no. um, and then I was talking to the RMIT Design Archives and then there were issues about provenance and ownership because these are not owned by me. Um, who does own these documents? And what about the involvement of the clients? Because they did work for mobile. Does does mobile have a say on who owns this sure. material? interesting. So, yeah. yep, yep. and I think that's one reason why these kind of... Um, um, humble archives found archives ephemeral archives are not are not retained to the same degree perhaps but maybe lisa you'd you'd know more about this because an archivist than than i would yeah um i mean there are always issues of who the true custodian is and what the provenant the true provenance is as as stefan said so um you know collecting archives or museums may be unwilling to actually Mm. take those um, items on board and you know keep them um, you know they have they have their limitations they have their parameters for what they can how much they can take and what they can take so there's only so much that can be held in in you know institutional archives I guess you mm. would you would call them mm. um, but there's I mean that leads on to this kind of move in recent times with using the internet for you know capturing the the wild archives um the archives in the wild of various um you know small groups or communities or people who are collecting things for various purposes and um you know that idea of sort of getting communities or you know crowd funding crowdsourcing and getting people involved in um archival collections that involved involved digital digitization and and um creating you know archives in digital places on the internet Mm, Um, so it does exist in a in a digital place and and that's great too because it's allowed for communities of people to be able to look at the contents which otherwise wouldn't happen if it was held perhaps somewhere locked away somewhere Mm. um and also you know there's there's quite a global community of ghost sign aficionados and um you know stefan has sort of become you know been in touch with those people now and um the book that you recently did um, sort of brings international people together who have an interest in ghost signs. So it's kind of, um, there's a very local interest, but there's also a really global interest as well. Um, And that's an interesting thing that an archive can do um, Mm. is to get people interested and um, create, evoke responses and evoke, you know, emotions and um, whether it's nostalgia or whether it's just, you know, having a real interest in the craft of sign writing it seems that there is quite a global um interest in that at the very moment. interesting yeah it's a sort of it's almost it's a kind of democratization in a sense isn't it it's, mm. it's a process where you're moving away from the authorities to, yeah. into yeah. something which is much more um you know kind of horizontal in a sense that's right yeah. mm. 
Stefan, can we return to the the ghost signs per se and um, the website that Lisa mentioned that you administer Melbourne ghost signs? Um, can you just tell us a little bit about that that site? Yeah. What is it? How do viewers and users communicate with it? Well, it's a, well. I, I had a ghost sign blog for quite a few years, and I've been less active with that this year. But instead, I've just got a Facebook page called Melbourne Ghost Signs, and it's got two hundred and something people who follow it, and. Um, it's just a little thing, you know, <laughs> that you do in your day when you find a sign and you, you, you post it up there. And uh, in fact, I actually, I actually found one I'm, as I was parking the car to come here. There's there's an uncovering that the, across the road in Gertrude Street. So um, um, yeah, so I'll be posting that in the next day. But I'm now I'm now running that site with two other guys um, 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 uh, who who uh, have also have that interest um, and have come out and they're they're involved in in. And they do a lot more detailed work in looking at the history and the context of the signs than I do at the moment. So it's really great having that. It's almost like a little community. Um, to, to, Tobias and Rob are doing a great job on that too. So we share that load. So it's uh, called Melbourne Ghost Signs. Yeah. And yeah. it's a Facebook page. It's a Facebook and page. people listening can post stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are a few of these sites around now. The, the famous one that we've done some work on is the one called Lost Melbourne that I think about seventy or 80,000 people are now members of. And it became this huge thing. It started by a guy who works as a BMW parts um, guy for BM, uh, in, in, in the southern suburbs. And he's not from Melbourne, but he started this page and it became massive. And it's an example of that kind of leaky archive that Lisa was talking about where people are reposting photos from the State Library Collection or, or, or Museum Victoria, adding their own family photos, even donating collections of photos to the page. And so there's this sort of incredible assemblage of different sources and comments and responses um, that you get in this environment, which is perhaps a little richer than just something that's officially sanctioned. Mm. I've got a question for both of you. You might choose who who answers this. We we talked about the um, interest in ghost signs, there being massive interest in ghost signs around the world. Why do you think there's been this massive interest generated um, I think there's a few reasons. I mean, we sort of talk about the change of the urban landscape and people sort of, um, you know, holding memories of things from their childhood perhaps. You know, everyone remembers an ad that they really loved when they were a kid or things like that. So seeing a ghost sign that um, harks back to those times can, I guess, be perhaps it's nostalgia, but perhaps it's also just rekindles memories. Um also, the craft, I think, the craft of sign writing, there's been quite a resurgence of that and people actually doing courses and learning these techniques again. So there's, and there's a kind of a renewed interest in hand-painted signs. So I think that kind of has something to do with it as well. Um, what else? <laughs> well, I, I guess an example for me is um, across the road from where my kids went to primary school in Coburg, um, there was a, a really big... A bushels tea sign painted on on the side of an old milk bar and uh, it was kind of a friend like you go past it was it was a like a, a local landmark and something that connected you to that building as it was in the past because it's it was no longer a building it was a private residence um and uh um it was just something that was part of the environment that reminded you that there was a life in that place that extended for decades before yours, you know, and, and there was something really nice about that. Um, and as it turned out, that building was demolished and that sign's gone. Um, 
I've actually got, I've got bricks with the bits of paint and stuff on it. Seeing at home, in- more old stuff, Stephanie. <laughs> your, your house must be a very interesting place. Uh, yeah, my, yeah, my partner hates it, but that's all right. Yeah. Well, so, got time for a final question? Sure. I was just wondering, a question for both of you. What, what do you think this the, this resurgence in interest in ghost science? What's it telling us about collective urban memory? Is uh, urban memory uh, urban memory residing somewhere else now? Um, yeah, I, I, I guess it's it's an interesting thing because the pace of change is so fast, and especially at the moment. I mean, living in Melbourne with property prices. Uh, which has basically turned um, any any um, inner city bit of land into fair game for developers. So you've got this huge change in the landscape happening, um, and uh, there's that sense that people have, have lost kind of continuity with the past. Um, there's a sense of sort of uh, mm. fracture somewhere, mm. um, especially when you compare it to you know if you, if you look at in, indigenous history and. Um, you know, uh, sites that have been there for thousands of years and that continuity of connection with place that that we've sort of lost. So, Mm. yeah. Also, I think it's interesting how we're sort of using new technology to kind of document these old technologies. And um, social media platforms are really providing a place to share so people can connect and share these experiences that they have. Um, And so that's a really interesting thing that we found with this project too, that um, people are using new technology um, and documenting these old signs. Hmm. Fascinating topic. Thank you so much for your time today, Lisa and, and Stefan. Lisa Chianchi is an artist, an archivist and a digital media developer and works at Victoria University. Stefan Schutt is an academic at La Trobe University with a special interest in web development and old stuff. And we've been talking today about signs and sign writing and their significance for the visual and communication environment in our cities. We'll post links to the Lewis and Skinner Archive and the Melbourne Ghost Signs Facebook page you heard about in today's program on our website. And that's it for Communication Mixdown this week and indeed for 2017. This is the last show for the year. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in January next year. What, 2018? I can't believe it. That's right. Communication Mixdown, we'll be speaking to you then.